Right, we're going to be looking at this passage this morning and the, the, the difficulty that you and I will have with these three stories is that you will never find them on Christmas cards. Um, in actual fact, uh, we wouldn't even purchase a Christmas card that contained one of them. Uh, Matthew tells us three stories um, with regards to the infancy of our Lord Jesus. We, we get as far as the Magi coming to worship him, uh, but his, the, the infancy account in Matthew goes on. And um, Matthew is the only author, the only gospel writer who records these events. In actual fact, some people have accused him of having made it up. However, as we look at these three accounts, uh, it's like a stage production where you have Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3. But each time the curtain opens, um, for Act 1, for instance, you see a particular character, and then the curtain falls and opens for Act 2, and you see the same character playing the next part, and then it's Act 3, and that same character returns a third time. And that is what is happening throughout um, these three stories and there are just three basic questions that I want us to ask about the passage this morning. The first is this, what happened to Jesus in his infancy according to Matthew? Secondly, how does Matthew want us to interpret these stories? And thirdly, is how does God want us to respond today to these stories? Now, just very quickly, there are three basic stories that are told here with regards to Jesus. After the, the Magi have left, we are told that an, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Uh, the, the Magi were also told through a dream to go back a different way. Now Joseph is um, given a dream. And in, uh, throughout these two chapters, uh, jo Joseph is having dreams all over the show. He, he had a dream about the birth of Jesus. He had a the dream about marrying Mary and naming Jesus. And um, people often say that Joseph doesn't play any role, any prominent role. However, the, the first two chapters of Matthew uh, are really all about Joseph and what he does. And so he's very prominent. And we're told here that in the dream, the angel of the Lord says, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until... I tell you, for Herod is about to search for him, to destroy him. Now you don't get that on a Christmas card. You know, if, if you say, you know, King Herod destroys uh, the Christ child, Merry Christmas inside. Uh, you, it sort of flies in the face. And I've actually entitled my sermon this morning, The Dark Side of Christmas. Because yes, at one, at, at one level, it is joy to the world, the King has come. But that is not what the Bible tells the story. The Bible tells the, the, the story of the birth of Jesus into the real world, into our world, into this world, where they had to flee with their infant child because a king was out to destroy him. That is what happened. And so we are told that, he, um, that uh, he rose and he took the child and his mother by night. 
just had the dream and missed the work, and then by night he departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called myself. The second story is the story of Herod finding out that he has been tricked by the Magi. No one came back and reported to him to tell him where, the, where he could find the child. But they had searched the scriptures and they had found out that he was to be born in Bethlehem. And so we are told that, that um, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region, we were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. I mean, this is Christmas. This is the infancy of Jesus. Mary sends off his troops to go and kill, to slaughter, to ruthlessly murder baby boys under the age of two. Now what you need to know from the historical books that we have available that um, Bethlehem would have maximum of a, a population of about a thousand people. And they say that at any one time there could have been anything up to 20 male boys under the age of two. But even if it was just one, it would have been, it was bad enough. But that's what Herod does. And then the third story we are told in, um, from verse 19 onwards is that when Herod died, this Herod from whom Mary and Joseph were fleeing, this Herod who killed these children in Bethlehem, this Herod, he died. It's good to be reminded of that. Because the Herods of this world will die. And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream. I mean, poor Joseph. I mean, the guy couldn't have a decent night's sleep. You know, he's dreaming and he's acting and running in the middle of the night. Um, and, and he appeared to, in a dream uh, to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in that place, in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being born in a dream, here we go again. He withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. It's quite interesting that what you see happening here, and, and I'm not going to get into all the details of it, you see Mary and Joseph with the Christ child in the land of Israel, leaving the land of Israel and going to, of all places, Egypt, and then returning to the land of Israel. So there's a kind of an exile into <coughs> Egypt, uh, but then there's a return from exile from Egypt to the land of Israel. In actual fact, in all of the New Testament, um, the phrase, the land of Israel, is only used here on these two occasions back into the land of Israel. Now that's, those are the three stories, so you, you get the picture of, of what is going on. 
So the second thing I want to ask very quickly, and again, we're not going to get into every single detail because it, it uh, would take too long and it's the 22nd of December. But how does Matthew want us to interpret these stories? Because we are not left to guess about why these things happened and, and what does it mean. So there's of course the, the, the references to dreams all through this passage. And, and each time we are told in verse 13, verse 19 and 22 that an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. And so that what we learn from this is that God was at work in the life of this infant. It was God who was directing the, the affairs of this child and this family. In actual fact, one would say that he wasn't just being divinely guided, but he was actually being divinely protected. He was being divinely protected. But there is no doubt that God is at work in the infant, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing that you will notice from this passage is the reference to Scripture. You will notice that on each occasion, in each of these events, it was to fulfill what was in the Old Testament scriptures. You see, Jesus is part of a bigger story than just his own story. So that each of these stories, Matthew is able to draw from the Old Testament and is able to, to, to help us understand that in a sense the Old Testament scriptures explain the meaning of each move. Each time he moves, he, he says this was in fulfillment of. And, and what is surprising about the use of scripture here is the actual scriptures that Matthew uses. You wouldn't have expected him to have used these scriptures. So that for instance, the first time when they go down into Egypt, it said that this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, if I was writing this, I would have gone somewhere into the book of Genesis or Exodus, where the Exodus actually took place. Because Jesus is almost like a Joseph here. Because it was Joseph who took the people of Israel originally into Egypt. But of course, there they became slaves. And um, and they were terribly oppressed. But, um, and it was Moses that led them out. I would have gone there. But instead what he does is he goes to the book of Hosea. He goes to a prophet hundreds of years later who still says, I'm going to bring my people, I'm going to bring my son out of Egypt. Because in the book of Hosea when he says, out of Egypt I called my son, he, he was talking about, when he used the word son, he was talking about the nation of Israel. So that at this point in time, it, 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 it seems to us that Jesus embodies the whole nation. You see, we are told in the Bible that salvation is of the Jews. Yes, it is, but it's of a single Jew. And so that here we have something different where... Um, where the, 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 uh, Matthew uses this prophecy to speak about a single person. And it is quite interesting that they are going to go into slavery. Hosea, in actual fact, stands up and he, and he warns the people. 
that God is going to judge them and they're going to go off into slavery. But in actual fact, they don't go into Egypt, they go to Assyria. So it's almost a replay of what happened in Egypt, but this time it happens in Assyria. You see, the Exodus and, and the people of God going into slavery sort of doesn't end with the book of Exodus. It doesn't end there. It's actually still happening hundreds of years later when Hosea comes and he says, God is going to do the same to you again. There's a repeat of the Exodus. Which in actual fact, here, Matthew says, these words are fulfilled in Jesus. You see, the Exodus in the Old Testament wasn't the real Exodus. When they came out of Egypt, it, it, was, it was a geographical thing, it was a physical thing, it was a material thing. You see, there's a greater Exodus. God has got to call us out of from being under a greater oppressor. And that's the exodus. The, the, the exodus in the Bible is only a, an anticipation of a greater exodus that will take place later. And what Matthew's telling us, that this exodus was fulfilled in Jesus. And then when we come to the killing of the children, I mean, who can imagine a, a more horrible and terrible event than what Herod did? And again, if I was to have chosen a passage to go to, to, to sort of uh, say this is fulfilled, I would have gone to Pharaoh. Because that's what Pharaoh did. He started killing all the baby Jewish boys. <laughs> and it was Moses that escaped. On this occasion, it's Jesus that, as it were, escapes. Miraculously, supernaturally. But what is interesting is that Matthew doesn't go there. He goes to the prophet Jeremiah. And he says, A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Now, Jeremiah there is describing something. And what he's describing this time is not the Assyrians coming in and taking out the nation, the, 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 the northern kingdom of Israel, but taking out Judah, the southern kingdom of, of Israel. And this time, the, the people who come in and ravage the city and kill the people, it was a terrible time of war and violence and suffering and the death of women and children. When the Babylonians came in, and carried the people off into exile, taking them away as captives. And what we read here is that as they went, they walked over or walked past Rachel's grave. Now Rachel, of course, was, was Jacob's first love. If you go back to the book of Genesis. And, and Jacob was the father of the twelve sons of Israel. And so what happens here is she is seen as the mother of the nation. And what, what happens there is as they, 
as uh, in Jeremiah's day, they, they, they are there weeping as they see the, the Israelites um, being carried off because Rachel is weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. She sees that this is the end of Israel. There's no future. There's no hope. Everything has come to an end. And so, here what we see is not so much uh, an, an exodus, um, but here we see people being carried off into the exile. So here we have a picture of the exile. So we have a picture of the, the exodus and also the wheat. And in Jesus, Jesus returns to the promised land. And even although he gets carried off in inverted commas in exile to Egypt, he returns with his mother and father. And God is orchestrating it. And God is illustrating it. And the last story we are told here that um, they went and lived in Nazareth. Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But going on what happened when, he had to, when Joseph and Mary had to flee for their lives with their child, he, he might not have been there for too long. We, we don't have an exact timeline. But what we do know is that when he returned, he went and he lived in Nazareth. Now, if you think that Bethlehem was small, then Nazareth was even smaller. Nazareth is our modern-day Pofada. Okay? I don't even know where that is, but, but I believe it is somewhere. And it, it's a small little tiny little village. Um, and, 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 and in actual fact, there is no, uh, this is the problem you have when he says that this was to fulfill that Jesus would be called Jesus of Nazareth. There's actually no Old Testament prophecy that says that. And yet what he says here is this. This was to fulfill what the prophets have said. He uses the plural. It's the only time he uses it. So he's actually saying not one prophet says it, they all say it. And the summary of it is this, that he will be known as a, Nazar a, a, a Nazarene. It was, it, was, it was a picture of the Messiah. So you see, as, as Matthew brings, um, uh, as, he, as he tells the story, what he sees, and maybe if I can use this phrase, he sees the shadows of the prophecies of the Old Testament falling over these events and interpreting them for us. And he actually tells us that they are fulfilled in Jesus. Now the first thing I'm, we noticed about this passage in reading it were the dreams, the second the scriptures. The third thing that marks each of these stories is the word fulfillment. Each time, each of these events end with that phrase <laughs> in a sentence. In the first one it's, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Then when you read verse 17, this was fulfilled, what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. And then at the end of the chapter it says, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. 
And there's two things I want you to understand about the fulfillment of prophecy, which we don't understand, because we always think that prophecy is a sort of a straight line where people predict something that happens. Now that is not the common use of prophecy in the Bible. It's not just prediction and fulfillment. But there are two things I do want to say about the word fulfillment. The word fulfillment has got to do with God's promises. It's what He promises. You know, if I promise you that after the service I'm going to give you a thousand rand to come and see me, when you come to me after the service and I give you the thousand rand, I have fulfilled my word. And so that each of these events, as, as we trace Jesus going down and then coming back, as much as it embodies the, 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 the people of Israel, it also embodies the promises that God made to Israel because God said to, Israel, to the world, I am going to bless you through a particular nation and salvation will be of the Jews. But you see, the Jews as a nation had failed in that. But now God has sent His Son, His own beloved Son. And the difference here is He does not fail. He does not fail. And so God here is keeping His promises. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19, it says this, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no, but in Him it is always yes. All of God's promises in Christ are yes, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him. And when we read these three stories, and we look into the Old Testament Scriptures, and we think of the Exodus, and we think of the exile, and we think of the Messiah, we say yes. This is the person. This is God revealing it to us. But there's another way in which you can use the word fulfillment. It's not just a matter of keeping your promises. It is also, the word fulfillment is also used to describe something that God brings to completion. You see, even in the word itself, He fills it to the full. He fills it to the full. He brings out the fullness of what He is doing and what God is purposing and planning. So that's why I said to you earlier that the Exodus in the Old Testament had, was never really fulfilled. <coughs> it wasn't filled to the fullness. The people of Israel didn't come out of Egypt. Yes, I know they came out physically. Yes, I know they went into the Promised Land. But Egypt was still in them. And you see, Egypt is a, is a, is a symbol of darkness and separation from God and of idolatry. The enemy of God. 
So that, so that what you actually discover here is that although Israel are in the land of Israel, of Israel they actually haven't really come out of Egypt yet. Because they haven't entered in to the fitness. They haven't experienced the full genuine thing that the Exodus represented. And that's like a lot of people. A lot of people have got religion. A lot of people go to church. A lot of people even read their Bibles. Some people even go so far as to pray. But you know, in spite of that, they still haven't experienced the real thing. They haven't been liberated. Because that is what Exodus means. It means to be liberated from the enemy. It means to be set free. And if the Son will set you free, you will be free indeed. Moses set the people of Israel free in, from, from a, a, a physical enemy, from a political enemy. But Jesus brings us out of Egypt in its fullness and brings us into his glorious kingdom. You see, when we, when we come to Jesus, the experience of the exile, the return, you know, some churches, I think they still might have them, they have this thing called Back to Church Sunday, where, where people who used to be in the church and drifted away, they have this Back to Church and they hope to get people back in again. So you try and pull them back in, but they don't really come back in. And, and sometimes people say, you know, oh, I haven't been to church for so long, I better get back. But, you know, in thinking like that, they, they, they are not really returning. Their hearts haven't really been changed, and they're not experiencing the fullness of the return from exile. But in Jesus, he represents God bringing the people of Israel back into the promised land, back into the land of Israel. And you know, ultimately, of course, as we know, um, Israel represents heaven for us. It's the promised land. And you know, it's there that we must return to. It's, it's into God's presence. It's into fellowship and into friendship with Almighty God. So you see that this reference to fulfillment, this reference to the scriptures, help us to understand who Jesus is. And then the final question I want to ask you this morning is this. How should I respond? How do you respond to this this morning? When you read these stories? Well, the way that we should respond is we should, we should hear God speaking to us. You know, uh, uh, I came across just yesterday for the first time, somebody sent me a video clip, and it was uh, one of these Christian songs that I, I actually, quite honestly, didn't particularly like. It was a bit too old-fashioned for me. And, um, but I thought I'd listen to it. It was actually very well done. It was, you know, one of those things where you get four pictures, and it's the same guy singing all four, four different parts. It was a beautiful, and then when he, I, I thought, let me just see how he and then I watched it a bit closer to see which part he's doing in that frame, and what's he doing in this frame, and then I went to, and then just really by chance, which I don't believe in, but by God's leading, 
I, I went on to the second verse. The, the song is called Our God, He is Alive. It's an old-fashioned song. Most of you here wouldn't even listen to it. But it's got brilliant words. Our God, He is Alive. And the second verse goes like this. There was a long, long time ago, a God whose voice the prophets heard. He is the God we should know who speaks from his inspired word. And I tell you, when I went, I searched, I googled for the lyrics, so I put it into my sermon and thought, that's what I want to say this morning. The God of Matthew, who inspired Matthew to write this story, to link it to the scriptures and to show us that these things are fulfilled in Jesus, is a God whom the prophets heard a long, long time ago. They heard God speaking and saying, this is what I'm going to do. And Matthew tells us that God has done it. He has done it all. He has sent His Son. The Savior has come. And our response is, this is the God that we should know. And the question I want to ask you this morning, is He the God that you know? Is He the Jesus that you love and that you follow? Have your eyes been opened? Have you come to see what God has fulfilled? In Jesus Christ. You know there are many other questions you could ask about this passage because you could ask yourself why did if God was orchestrating all of this why did he allow Herod to kill those children? Why did why would God have anything to do with that? And what you've got to remember is this that Jesus didn't come into a make-believe world. <coughs> Jesus came into a broken world. He came into a world that was not safe. His mother and father had to flee. That's the world that Jesus came into. He came into a world that was filled with sorrow and mourning and weeping and suffering and overwhelming sadness. I had the choice to either stop or snooze. I thought I'd just stop. <laughs> he came into a rebellious world. He came into a world that was imperfect. And you know, this world rejected him. You know, these stories here go on to Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4 until you get to Matthew chapter 26 and Matthew chapter 27 where you see the same infant on a cross. But it all began here. And it doesn't end at the cross because he dies and he's buried. And he doesn't even end in the grave because he rises on the third day and he has ascended into heaven. And he lives and he reigns as the king of the Jews. You know, it's interesting. The fact that Jesus would be called Jesus of Nazareth was what Pilate put in three languages. 
above his head on the cross. And the Jews pestered Pilate and said, No, Martha said me this. He claimed to be, he said, What I have written, I have written. And what I want to say to you this morning is what Matthew has written is what we need to know this morning. And the God that inspired him to point us to this Christ is the God that you and I need to know. Amen. Thank you.